This is session three on 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 10. And we're down here at the end in verse 10. And he has asked this rhetorical question, what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice because of you before our God? And then he inserts into that rhetorical question a reminder of his affection for them, namely that he is so eager to come to them and see them face to face that he prays most earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face. And then he adds, and, and this is, this is the only negative note that he has struck, supply what is lacking in your faith. But we're going to see it. It's not as negative as it may sound. So, Father, as we try to get inside Paul's mind and heart of prayer and his zeal to continue to build their faith through supplying what is lacking, teach us how to pray and teach us how to minister to people's faith. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the first implication about what Paul says concerning prayer. We pray most earnestly night and day, which means it doesn't get answered right away. Just let that sink in. I think sometimes we read certain passages about prayer that if you have faith, you'll have it. Bang! Just like that. And here's Paul pleading earnestly night and day, to see them. And we know from a few verses earlier in 2.18, he wanted to come to them. I wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So all of Paul's prayers, day and night, are not overcoming this satanic opposition immediately. That's really important for understanding a life of prayer, isn't it? So let's get out of our minds that proper prayer gets answered immediately or there's something wrong. That's not the way life is, and it's not the way the Bible presents the apostles praying. So Satan can be harassing you and hindering you from seeing someone face to face, and you can be asking God every day that that opposition will be overcome and God will let there be a season of hindrance. And he, and he doesn't take Paul back. He has to send Timothy back. And so don't begrudge long seasons of waiting for answers to prayer. And let me just mention a couple of things I've learned over the years about that. I used to worry that well, if there's, a, if there's a long season of praying day and night, say for someone you love, for their conversion or for some sin to be overcome, doesn't that just result in vain repetitions? Same thing over and over and over and over again. No, it doesn't have to, for two reasons. One, if you pray on Monday, and it's the hundredth time you've prayed, and Monday happens to say be April 2nd, and you pray 
God, save them. What you can add is, do Monday's work. Do the work designed for April 2nd toward that grand end. It may be a year from now, maybe 10 years from now, but do today's work. That's not vain repetition. Today is today. It's not any other day. And the other thought is, I think God gathers our prayers up in a bowl, and when the bowl gets full, he dumps it out in the answer which means that today's repetition of an old prayer, like hallowed be your name, is gathered into a bowl and it will be poured out in due season. So the point there is when Paul prays earnestly night and day to overcome this obstacle that Satan has erected for him seeing them face to face, we don't know how long it took. We we don't have any record that Paul turned around and went back to Thessalonica anytime soon. And so the prayers went on and on. God knew best, and Paul was expressing his love for them as he prayed. Might be good to just remind ourselves that Jesus said this. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You see what that's saying? I'm not going to answer your prayer right away. (laughs) I'm not. I, I don't want you to lose heart. I want you to keep coming to me. And then he illustrates with this story. I don't, re- I don't quote the whole story, but I get you started. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was this widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. And the story goes on that she harassed him so long that he gave up and vindicated her. It's a really shocking parable to put God in the light of a, an unjust judge. But God's not an unjust judge, and so he's more likely to answer. But he said, keep on praying, don't lose heart. So Paul is obeying, and he's praying night and day. What does it mean when he closes by saying, and I want to come and supply what is lacking in your faith? What does that refer to, lacking in your faith? Let me give you three suggestions that it might refer to. The first is that Paul treats the the lacking not so much that there are gross deficiencies, but that they can do more. For example, in the next two verses, we'll see these soon. May the Lord make you increase, increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So it's not that they're not loving and not believing, but that there's an increase possible. And I know this says um, love, not faith, but I think as Paul ponders how their love grows, he means, just like he hinted in chapter 1, verse 3, that the work of faith and the labor of love are the same action, and therefore as faith is increasing. Love is increasing, and therefore there's some some work to be done for the increase of faith behind this increase of love. Or here it is again in chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. I think this more and more idea is part of what Paul means by 
what is lacking in your faith. I want to come to you and help you to do even more than you are doing. So it's not so much an indictment of their poverty of faith as a desire that it grow and be richer and richer. Or here's one more example on this point. Chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing. You are doing all the to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But I urge you, brothers, do so more and more. <laughs> so Paul is commending them that they are doing what they ought to do, and there's always room for more. That may bother some of us. Like, is, can he never be satisfied? No, no. God is never satisfied. He's, he, C.S. Lewis said once, God is easy to please and hard to satisfy. That's because God's perfect. And he wants perfection for us. He wants the fullness for us. But don't get the idea that God's always got his arm folded looking with displeasure upon his people. He's not. He's pleased with what you are doing. And Paul says, come on, let's, let's really knock the top off and do even more. What would Paul do when he gets there? Well, we've already seen the answer to that in the sending of Timothy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. So already, Paul has said, I want to do some work for your faith. I can't come, so I'm going to send Timothy, and he's going to do gospel work to establish your faith and exhort you in your faith. And that's probably the same thing Paul means when he says things that are lacking in your faith. I, I want to come and exhort and establish and strengthen. And then maybe one more glance, one more kind of um, improvement that he might have in mind. Here's 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. So I think Paul realizes he didn't have time to teach them everything they need to know about what happens to dead believers. How does it relate to the second coming? And do they go to be with Christ? And so there's some grieving perhaps going on that betokens a kind of inadequate faith because they have inadequate knowledge. And so he's going to go and supply what is lacking in their faith by supplying what is lacking in their knowledge. Or two more illustrations of what might be lacking. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So he knows that at Thessalonica, there are some idle folks, some faint-hearted folks, some weak folks, and these brothers that he's addressing directly are supposed to help them. And so Paul wants to go and address some of these, these issues, especially this one. Why are people idle? And we know from 2 Thessalonians it was a major problem. Let me just close with this. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ 
that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. For we hear that there are some among you who walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So this is a major issue, and it probably relates to a misunderstanding of the second coming and how imminent it is, and perhaps you should just quit your work and wait around for Jesus to show up. And that needs to be repaired. And I think repairing it can be spoken of rightly as a repair. This word right here, supply, can mean repair of what is lacking in your faith, meaning you've got some defective understandings about the second coming. I'd love to come minister to your faith by bringing as much clarity as I can for your doctrine.